Folks, wonder what happened on July 13th in baseball history? Well, the All-Star game goes dark. Ruth cracks 700. Wynn tallies his 300th. And Reggie hits a mammoth shot. And finally, Pedro puts on a show in 1999. Take me out to the ball game. Take me out with the crowd. Buy me some peanuts and cracker jack. I don't care if I never... Welcome to Baseball History Daily. And before we jump into today's birthdays, I hope you had a chance to check out our July 12th show when we talked about Disco Demolition Night, Kirby Puckett, Cy Young winning his 300 with his interview about his perfect game against Rube Waddell, and in our trivia, that's always fun to explore. So every piece of history starts with the birthday. Now, the hundreds of players that were born today, our special birthday calls call out goes to Stan Kovalinsky. The Hall of Famer was born July 13th, 1889 in Schmokin, Pennsylvania, uh, using a fluttering spitball that dove sharply and broke inside on lefties and righties, Kovalinski helped two unlikely teams to World Series championships. He won three games in the 1920 World Series for the Cleveland Indians at the time, and in 1925, he led the Senators um, in his first year at the club. He won 20 games. Now, during his career, he consistently topped over 275 innings, um, and he was a really good pitcher well into his 30s. He was a longtime resident of South Bend, Indiana, and a ball field in college, in college town bears his name to this day. And he was inducted into the Hall of Fame in 1969. And if you want more on him, I suggest you go over to Vintage Baseball Reflections. There's a wonderful interview with him uh, with Eugene Murdoch on Vintage Baseball Reflections. Com. The links are in the show notes. Uh, today's birthday, Bobby Ojeda. He debuted on July 13th, 1980. Uh, he faced off against the Tigers. Uh, he was pitching for my hometown, Boston Red Sox. He pitched uh, five and two-thirds. He gave up eight hits, five strikeouts, four walks, and four earned, which was kind of like how things went for Ojeda when he was with the Red Sox. But he did pitch 15 years in the majors. He pitched for the Red Sox, Mets, Dodgers, Indians, and Yankees. Uh, he posted a 115 wins and 98 losses. Um, and he led the league in shutouts uh, in 1984 for the Red Sox with five. Um, in 1986, he led the league in winning percentage with a 783. Um, in his two postseason series, he pitched and he had a 233 ERA in 27 innings. Now, as someone who's followed the Red Sox for 50 years, it was really painful to watch him go 18-5 and five, um, with the Mets. He pitched the Mets to um, a World Series win at Fenway. Um, and then a lot of people may have forgotten this, but he he was the actual starter for game uh, for the Mets in Game Six, and when he left uh, left the game after six full, um, the game was tied to two. And then, of course, we had to watch Calvin Chiraldi, who was the key player he was traded for, implode a few innings later. Look, I'm not bitter; uh, I've gotten over it. But to realize that uh, he was traded away for and John Tudor the year before, who was unbelievable in 1985, uh, it was a little hard to get past for a while. So um, before I take you over to Robin and her highlights for the day, I just got some uh, tri quick trivia for you. Who was the only pitcher to have the lowest ERA in the majors among qualifiers for four consecutive seasons? I'll let you think about that a little bit. Uh, I'm going to give you some hints along the way, and the answer will come at the end of the show. And now... 
So Robin's going to take you on these highlights. And as we did a couple days ago, we're going to sprinkle in some radio calls. 1943 All-Star Game and the 1971 All-Star Game when Reggie hits his mammoth shot. They're going to be played right after Robin tells you what happened that day. Enjoy. On July 13, 1934, Babe Ruth hits his 700th home run in a 4-2 victory over Tommy Bridges and the Detroit Tigers. Lou Gehrig left the game in the first with a severe case of lumbago, the most serious threat to his streak. He returned for one at-bat the next day and went on to win the Triple Crown that season. In 1943, the first night game in All-Star history at Philly's Scheib Park went to the American League 5-1 despite a single, triple, and home run by the National League center fielder Vince DiMaggio of the Pirates. The big blow was a three-run homer by Bobby Doerr of the Red Sox, which gave the American League the lead for good. Stepping in is Bobby Dorr, great second baseman of the Boston Red Sox. Right-hand batter, very much an open stand. Sets that bat high above his right ear. Takes the first pitch in there for a strike. Call strike. Lambs of the Browns beating down off second base early. A Washington off first. Two straight walks. Score one to nothing. The National League and the American League putting on their best threat. One man out. Last of the second inning. The Cooper in position. Delivers. Dorr swings. There's a fly ball going way back in the left field. He can't get it. It's in for a home run. And so once again, the American Leaguers pull a familiar trick. Bobby Dorff up with the first hit for the American League. Hits a home run into the lower left field stand. And it is 3-1 to one in favor of the American League. That is their first in 1963, Early Wynn registered his 300th and final victory at age 43, pitching the first five innings of Cleveland's 7-4 win over the Kansas City A's. Wynn was a hard-throwing, hard-nosed pitcher. Vita Blue once said of him as a coach, If you hit a ball good off him, he'd knock you down. In 1971, the American League defeated the National League 6-4 in an all-star game played at Tiger Stadium, which saw three home runs hit by each team. The most notable was Reggie Jackson's mammoth shot off the power generator on the right field roof. It had been estimated that Jackson's bomb would have traveled 532 feet if not for striking the generator, surely one of the greatest displays of power in the history of the game. And that'll bring up Reggie Jackson, who can make this ball game close in quite a hurry. Reggie hitting at 272, 17 home runs, 41 RBIs. And I'm sure you'll recall a couple of years ago when Jackson, Howard, and Killebrew in the American League were all in that home run race. Won ultimately by Killebrew and Howard second. And Jackson third. Killen, this is the situation of the ball game where it tests the pitcher's ability to try and make the hitter hit the ball on the ground. Jackson left-handed batter takes a strike at the knees from Doc Ellis. Ellis, the National League's leading winner, 14 victories. Vida Blue, who had 17 before this All-Star break, an all-time high in Major League history, touched up for two home runs, one of them windblown, one of them simply poleaxed, and a three-run lead. Back, high and inside, foul out of play by Reggie Jackson. It's two strikes to left-handed hitting outfielder. One of the many products of Arizona State. 
In the last of the third, it's three to nothing, the National League. With Luis Aparicio perched at first base. None out. Carew on deck. And Ellis, the right-hander, looking in. Gray uniform, gold cap, throws, and it's fouled out of play again. Johnny Bench, the catcher, quite concerned about his left wrist. It was sore, but they x-rayed it. Not a fracture, not a break. And Bench is behind the plate. And as the first home run of the ball game, it came with a man off. which should make his left wrist feel a lot better. Ellis has a two-strike count on Jackson. Aparicio leads off at first. Here's the pitch, and it's outside. One ball, two strikes to Jackson. Ellis is doing a fine job. He seems to be fighting his control just a little bit. The last three pitches have been up, and in this situation with a runner on, a home run hitter, the wind blowing out, you know Ellis would like to get the breaking ball down. He's, he's got it up a little bit. Long drive, deep right field, it's three to two, nobody even turns to look. Home run. Jackson just now, round third base. And Sandy, I recall again what you were saying about Doc Ellis struggling and the ball was getting up. But Jim, right there, it looked like Doc got the breaking ball up just a little bit to Reggie Jackson, and I mean he hit it hard. I don't know what I've seen a ball hit any harder or as hard as that one. That would have gone out at the airport. <laughs> it may be at the airport. Who knows? Listen to this crowd hub. In 1982, the National League registered its 11th consecutive All-Star victory over the American League with a 4-1 victory at Montreal's Olympic Stadium in the first game played outside of the United States. Dave Concepcion's two-run homer off Dennis Eckersley in the second inning was the deciding hit. Ted Williams would return to the All-Star game in Fenway Park on July 13, 1999 to throw out the first pitch. The best players of the day flocked to the mound to talk hitting with Williams as fans roared and Williams waved his cap to them a gesture he never made as a player. Another type of greatness would be on display that night as the Red Sox own Pedro Martinez becomes the first pitcher to strike out first four batters of an all-star game and win as the starting pitcher on his own home field. Barry Larkin, Larry Walker, and Sammy Sosa in the first inning and Mark McGuire in the second would all fall to Martinez as he got his win in the American League 4-1 victory over the National League. That was July 13th, this day in baseball. Thanks, Robin. Some unbelievable baseball history there. I uh, hope you're really enjoying that. And let me give you a quick hint. He would have won four straight Cy Young Awards if it weren't for a knuckleball one year. See if that helps you a little bit. So today's feature radio calls on vintage baseball reflections. You know, I always say in some ways this is like the twilight zone where you can propel yourself back 30, 50, 70 years to listen to games. You know, we already played you a little clip from the 1943 All-Star Game where Bobby Doerr hits the three-run home run at Chide Park. You know, that was called by Red Barber and Mel Allen. Uh, you know, it just gives me goosebumps thinking about it. It brings a smile to my face. I just love baseball nostalgia, and to listen to that and to re-listen to that game was so much fun. I brought you the clip from Reggie Jackson, 71. It was a full at-bat, and I just think that if you... If you miss baseball on the radio, and it was a long at bat, it was a couple minutes, but you could just, the, the back and forth with the announcers talking about the pitches, and the pitcher was struggling, it was almost like they called it, it was going to happen when it did. 
And then Reggie hits that historic blast. Overall, there are uh, four All-Star games, 43-48 at Sportsman Park. Uh, Stan Musial in that game. Uh, 1965 in Minnesota, and and 71 in Detroit. Those are all full games. Uh, We also have two full regular season games from 1962, the Dodgers and the Mets, and from 1969, the Yankees and the Senators. You know, like I said, when I was pulling these clips, and and I listened again to that 1943 All-Star game, the full game with Red Bobber and Mel Allen. You know, I remember Mel Allen from This Week in Baseball, but, uh, but this was... You know, 30 years before that, you know, uh, 30 plus years before that. So it was really interesting to listen to, to those calls. I just get excited when I think about it. And I, I hope you do, too. I hope you love baseball and nostalgia. And that's why you listen to the show. It's just a lot of fun. Uh, so for the trivia, and I know you've been waiting for this. Um, the player in question led MLB, not just the National League, but MLB in ERA from 2011 to 2014. He finished second in 2012 uh, in the Cy Young voting to R.A. Dickey, but he won in 2011, 13, and 14. The pitcher I'm talking about is a very underappreciated Clayton Kershaw. Now, tomorrow, we're going to talk about former teammates Eddie Matthews and Hank Aaron hitting uh, their 500th home runs. Uh, there might be a radio call mixed in there. And on tomorrow's date is an infamous uh, incident in the 1970 All-Star Game where Pete Rose and Ray Fossey collide. There's a radio call there as well. And uh, until then, I'm going to bid you adieu. And I want to thank Robin from RobinSays.com for the highlights and Horsehide Trivia for the uh, amazing trivia that they provide. Links are both in the show notes. VintageBaseballReflections.com features a treasure chest of baseball audio. The wonderful thing is the audio isn't a guy like me or a few talking heads reflecting on players, seasons, or teams. It is the actual players from that era, announcers from that era, giving you an uncut, unfiltered, unrecent day stance on what it was like then. These are real-time clips from that era. Now, we encourage you to check out our entire back catalog of baseball audio. And if you like old-time games and folks, and folks, you are not alone. Join the membership section to enjoy interacting with fans, scoring games with folks just like you, and listening to hundreds of radio broadcasts that were baseball classics. As a special offer to you, type in This Day in Baseball for a discount just for you. And if you enjoyed the show, hit the plus sign to subscribe, follow us on the socials, and above all, share us with your friends who love baseball history just like 